0: to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible and need one, there should be a black hardbound Bible around and uh, somewhere in the pew. And 1 Corinthians 11 is on page 958 of that Bible. In this letter uh, from Paul to the church at Corinth, he deals with a variety of problems. And as we come to chapter 11 today, we come to a new section of dealing with problems, particularly dealing with disorder in the church. And the text in front of us today is a difficult one. It's actually challenging to interpret. It's challenging to apply. But I want to encourage us all as we come, before we even read the text, that we come to the text with a particular posture. We come to the text realizing that these words were not Paul, just Paul's words. These are God's words written under the inspiration of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen. Yes, to particular people, but preserved by God for all, to teach us. The other thing to remember is that these words are from a good God who loves us, who wants to teach us through these words, correct us through these words, train us through these words. And so as we come to any text, particularly those that may challenge us more or that are more difficult to understand, we come to them with a posture of wanting to receive them, wanting to obey them, wanting to love them. And so we come to all words from God that way and so we come to these. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning in verse 2. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2. This is what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you to hear from you, and we do pray that you will speak, O Lord, that you will renew our minds and help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, that these truths, unchanged from the dawn of time, will echo down through eternity. May we have open hearts. To receive what you say and ready wills to do what you say. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Every other Monday, uh, Chad and I meet with Brian and Trey over at Heather Hills, and uh, we try to pick restaurants we haven't been to to go to lunch, but the point is to eat together and to discuss a book that we're reading. And the book that we're currently reading is by Carl Truman, and it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in this book, Truman seeks to show the development, how how the modern sense of self has developed, how people now, how we got to the place where we think about ourselves the way that we think about ourselves now, how we think about things like identity or morality, uh, how we see ourselves in relationship to others, what it means to have a good life, those kinds of things. And in the chapter that we're going to be discussing tomorrow, uh, Truman talks about um, a change in human society, in the, especially in the West, in the 21st century, in the way that we make and evaluate moral judgments. So for most of human history... Human societies have essentially looked outside of themselves, outside of just self, to something that is transcendent, used typically and mostly for human history, something that is sacred, whether Christian or not, to say this is what it is to be moral, this is what right and wrong is. It was something outside of us. It was something transcendent. But the shift has come to where we no longer look to the transcendent. We no longer look to what is beyond us to evaluate moral judgments. We now look within us. So that morality has basically become an expression of personal preference or of feeling. And then that preference is elevated to the authority of the transcendent so that my personal preference rules no one can contradict it no one can correct it and this happens in a number of areas in life but one of the places we see it most clearly in our day today is in the arena of gender and sexuality so that if individual preference is the authority, then all bets are off when it comes to gender and sexuality. Actually, all bets are off with regard to just having rational conversations about gender and sexuality. The uh, the, the ideas of maleness, or femaleness can just be relegated to being a social construct. It's just what we've come up with. And it can be whatever we want it to be. I can be whatever I want to be. And you can neither contradict it nor correct it, and you certainly cannot prohibit it. But... If authority lies outside of us, if there is a transcendent authority, if there is a sacred authority that speaks to what men and women are and how men and women should live and function, then quite honestly, people will still have their preferences but those preferences can and must be evaluated by the transcendent. See the difference? The difference between looking outside of us to see what is right and wrong versus looking what is within us to see what is right and wrong. And maybe you've had discussions with somebody, maybe not about this but about something else, where their personal preference, their personal conviction, their personal Morality said X or Y and that was clearly contradictory. But the whole thing that they were hanging on to is, this is how I feel. This is what I want. You don't even have to go into these, these kinds of waters. Just go to a local divorce court and ask why you're here. Most of the time, this is how I feel this is what I want and no one can contradict it And we as a society have made it very very easy to live according to those kinds of feelings but as we come to this text what we find is cultural language rooted in an appeal to the transcendent It's very foreign to us. This is the kind of thing you breeze right past when you're doing your Bible reading in a year. You're like, okay, head coverings, head coverings. All right, okay. Uh, Chapter 12, you know, and you just go right on. Because it's very foreign to us. We know of certain places, there are certain churches where women either have their hair in a particular style, and that's what is expected, or, or they wear particular head coverings. But it's, it's, it's not the norm. And so, because it is, it is foreign to us, because this is written to a particular time and place and culture, but it's written to that time and place and culture by demonstrating not what cultural norms ought to be, but what the transcendent says about men and women in the church. And that's where our focus will be. I will likely not answer every question you have about the covering of the head because I don't think that's the main point. I believe the main point is that Christians must embrace God's good design for men and women. I think that is the point. That Paul is trying to make, because that's what's out of sorts. Okay? So, in order to see that, we're going to hear God's good design so that we can embrace God's good design, and then Paul will help us understand. God's good design. First, we hear God's good design. Now, Paul begins actually in verse 2 with something quite surprising, doesn't he? He commends the Corinthians. And if you've actually read the letter up until now, or you've just been here, you hear, you see the phrase, I commend you, and you wonder if he meant to write that, Uh, because there are significant problems in the church in Corinth. And yet, Paul commends them. What for? Well, verse 2 says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So as bad as things are in the church in Corinth, not everything has gone wrong. Now, In some ways, that's disconnected from everything else, but it's a good reminder, isn't it? That as bad as anything may get, typically, not everything has gone wrong. Whether you're thinking about a job or a relationship or a child who is struggling deeply or something else or even a church. Typically, not everything is wrong. And it's always good to have an example of actually looking for what something you can commend, something you can rejoice in, something you can be glad for. But even though Paul commends them, there's a part of the tradition, that set of teaching. Uh, Tradition gets a bad rap in the Gospels. It gets a bad rap today when you talk about traditions. Uh, But traditions, as Paul uses it, is the pattern of teaching that he that He delivered to the churches. And there's a piece of this that they're still missing, that they still need to understand, and it relates to God's good design for men and women. Verse 3, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. In other words, God has a particular design for humanity, an orderliness to it. God does not create human beings and then hand us several blank pages so that we can tell Him what a human being is, so that we can tell Him what it means to be male or female, so that we can tell Him what it means to relate to one another, so that we can tell Him what it means to live in His world. That's not how it works. God created us and told us His design for us. God's orderliness has been evident from the beginning, hasn't it? You just read Genesis 1. What do you see? You see what 1 Corinthians 14 says. God is a God of order and not of chaos. He orders the sky. He orders the sea. He orders the land. He orders the animals. And then he creates human beings in order to have dominion over all of this to do what? Keep it in order. Keep order. And like I said, in this larger section, from here all the way through chapter 14, Paul is wanting to re-establish orderliness in the church when it comes to the Lord's Supper, when it comes to the expression of spiritual gifts, when it comes to corporate worship. And he begins with order in the roles of men and women. That the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, Paul uses this word, head. And there is some conversation about what that means. What does Paul mean by head? And some people say, well, what Paul means is he means source. He means, that's an equivalent to source, that, that, the, that the, the source of woman is man. Man. Okay? Now, when you think about creation, that makes sense, right? Because here is Adam put to sleep, and God takes a rib, and out of him woman is made, right? You remember your Sunday school lessons? You remember Genesis 2? But here's the problem with that. The problem is if you're going to read head that way there, you have to read it that way in all three phrases, and the real trouble comes when you get to the third phrase, that the head of Christ is God. If we're going to say head is source and just then woman came out of man, well, that's biblically true, then we have to say that Paul, Paul is not the most natural way to read anything. If I write those three phrases to you is to think, oh, he means the same thing by head in all three of those phrases, right? is the source of Christ God in the same way that we would say the source of woman is is man no you're diving into heresy when you dive into those waters because the Son of God is eternal. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And John doesn't say He came out of God in the beginning. No. He was with God in the beginning. You see, with man and woman, there was a time when man was and woman was not yet. You cannot say the same for God the Father and God the Son. And so I'm Don't believe he means source. When Paul uses the word head, he speaks of authority. He speaks of authority used for God's glory. He speaks of authority used according to God's word. He speaks of glory used for God's purposes. And this is actually the way he uses head elsewhere when he speaks of husbands and wives in Ephesians 5 wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church Now, if this is new to you, if that's something you've never heard before and and dozens of questions immediately come up about a whole host of things, well, I'm glad for us to talk afterwards. I actually saw uh, someone preach on this text, and he stopped right in the middle of the sermon, and then he said, any questions? (laughs) He is braver than I. All right, so, (laughs) but I am glad to talk to you afterwards because this does bring up questions. But what I want to encourage you to do is hear Paul out all the way to the end. And I think that many of the major questions, many main questions, several main questions will be answered by Paul before we get to the end of verse 16, all right? So, but this is God's good design, orderliness in the home where husbands lead their wives and wives submit to their husbands, And what he's saying in this text is he's taking that orderliness and saying that should be reflected in the life of the church, not specifically mirrored to where every woman submits to every man, nothing like that at all. But generally, God's design for men and women in the home should be reflected also in the church, in the way that we function. And friends, we have to remember. When we talk about these things, we're not just talking about God's design. We're talking about God's good design. This does not, this, this, this design is not in, in our world today, some kind of excuse for abuse. It is not some kind of abuse uh, 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 uh of an excuse for chauvinism. It's not an excuse for any sense of superiority in anyone. It's not an excuse for a sense of inferiority in anyone. It's meant to glorify God, the God who created us. He is the one who said, this is how my people should operate. But not only that, this good design glorifies Jesus. Look at these three phrases again. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Christ shows up twice in this this link of parallel phrases. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that if you want to learn what it means to be a head, and if you want to know what it means to be under, a head, to have a head. Both people look to the same place, to Jesus Christ. So, men, what does it mean to be called head in your home? What does headship mean? Well, look to the way that Jesus speaks of and handles authority, He doesn't lord it over people. In fact, this Jesus who spoke, who created all things and in him all things hold together, who has the right to demand anything says I came with all of that authority not to be served but to serve The authority of Jesus was utilized to love, to sacrifice, to lay down His life for us. And yes, He leads us, but let me ask you, where does He lead us? He leads us in serving. He leads us in obedience. He leads us in righteousness. He leads us in holiness. He leads us in glorifying God. Men, how are you to lead your wives to glorify God, to obey Him? In saying that God has given authority is not to say God has given you final authority. It is a derived authority. An authority that should be patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. Utilized for God's glory and for the good of others. How can you be head in your home? Well, you look to Jesus, don't you? Look to Jesus. Women. How, what does it look like to be under a head? What does it look like to submit? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Think about his submission to the Father. The Son of God is co-equal with the Father. He is as much God as the Father is. And he willingly submits. He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't he? He says, Lord, if, if it's possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done the father would never lead Jesus wrongly the father would never ask Jesus to do something that is outside the father's will this is the main difference between this where this analogy cannot be perfect because your husband is not perfect ladies can I get an amen They just giggled. Nobody actually wanted to say it out loud. All right. Well, it's just the case, isn't it? And so, if a husband seeks to lead his wife in unrighteousness, that is not a place. That is a place where I must do what God says. However, this is the pattern. This is God's good design. Isn't it interesting? In the Lord Jesus, the use of authority and voluntary submission come together in one. And both lead to what? Sacrifice. The right use of authority means sacrifice. The right attitude of submission means sacrifice. Both entail sacrifice. And look at the good design that Jesus accomplished when he did both. He saved us. He saved us who would gladly exert our own authority and refuse to submit to God. Through his authority and his submission. He died to forgive our sin. He died to save us. He died to glorify God. His authority and submission came together in a sacrifice that glorified God and did the best good for anyone who would trust in Him. And if you are not trusting in Him, oh, dear friend, you are not part of the best design that God has for the world which is to save through his son. You can have a great marriage relationship and a great relationship with other people because God is good and God is merciful, but that does not mean that you have the most important relationship. So we hear God's design. This is what it means The head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, the head of Christ is God. The second thing is that once we hear it, we are to embrace God's good design. This principle of headship should be embraced and seen in the church. That's why there's all this talk of head coverings. It's a cultural expression of God's design for men and women. It's, it's actually uh, interpreted by the ESV in verse 10 as a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of authority, and the church should embrace it. Look, God's design isn't up for discussion. God's design is not like the lease on an apartment, where you get to the end and you see the terms for the new lease, and you're going to determine whether you re up it's not that every new generation needs to determine whether God's design will be best for today that is not the case God's design is simply best it is meant to be embraced we may wrestle with it we may pray for help with it but we cannot ignore it and call ourselves faithful to the Lord so it must be embraced verses four and five He explains culturally how they will embrace it. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. All right? The result of not embracing God's design is dishonor. The husband dishonors Christ. The wife dishonors her husband. If the woman is single, she dishonors her father. And the result of dishonoring father or husband is also the dishonor of the Lord because we reject His design. Now, it's interesting here, both men and women are praying, both men and women are prophesying. This is exactly what the Old Testament said would happen in Joel 2, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall... Prophesy, And this began at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. You have these people prophesying and people wondering, what is going on? Well, what is this prophesying? Well, there's a bunch of talk about that too. But it seems that this prophesying is actually revelation from God to His people being spoken it's spontaneous it's not like me going into what I am doing is not prophesying I am explaining prophecy is the best way I am it is it can preaching can be prophetic but in itself in this dev, in the way that it's happening in Corinth this is not prophesying where you go into a a room and you study all your books and then you come out and then you preach This is more spontaneous, spontaneously happening in the gathering of the church. But these words are not so much, you know, I've got a prophecy about you. You're going to, you know, start a business and it's going to be great or anything like that. We can't, we shouldn't think of prophecy primarily as foretelling the future. But it is speaking God's words to a particular people at a particular time and a particular place for God's particular purposes which was to build up the church Now we'll see more about that in chapter 14 but why was that kinda thing happening because at this point you don't have a New Testament ain't nobody in Corinth gonna say get that black hardbound book out of the pew in front of you nobody can say turn to the Gospel of Mark But God is still building. There's an oral tradition that's been passed on. And Paul has written some letters. So they are around. But you don't have a kind of finalized New Testament like we have now. And during those early days, God builds His church, He says in Ephesians 2, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This prophesying plays into that. Now... What about today? Is this the kind of thing? Should you be standing up right now to shout out some prophecy for me? Well, no. And here's why because we have all of the prophecy that God intends for us to have. He has said all that we need, it has been written and passed on. And so this kind of spontaneous prophesying is no longer necessary because we have God's Word. But in the church in Corinth, prophecy was practiced, and both men and women are doing it as God said they would, along with praying. The distinction is not what in one does or the other. It's in how they appear as they do it. So men are to be uncovered. Why? Well, it was common in those days if you were a man going into a pagan temple, you would cover your head when you go in. And Paul says, Don't do that. You must not be like that. You must not be like the heathen world. Uncover your head. And the women are to be covered, and maybe you're thinking what maybe some of those women were thinking well wait a second if not covering is good enough for the men why isn't not covering good enough for the women well really it's a matter of the times again because those women in society who had their heads covered were the respectable women these were respectable women worthy of respect if a woman walked around with her head uncovered it was as if she was throwing off her marriage vows or she was saying, I am sexually available. But there was nothing respectable. And so Paul saying, be distinct from those heathen ways by being covered. Being distinct looks different in men and in women. Don't disgrace yourself like that, Paul says. Don't humiliate yourself. You may as well shave your head. But verse 6 Since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Now, our culture is far different from the Corinthian culture, right? Uh, This is not first and foremost about hairstyles. This is first and foremost about being distinct from the culture and men and women being distinct from one another. So, our friends from Eastern cultures may still wear their head covering wherever they go okay but it's not the cultural standard here in the US the point that spans all of the all cultures is that we are to embrace God's good design whether I'm a man or a woman in the home and in the church one of the ways this works itself out as the New Testament develops as the church is founded is that God has ordained That only men should be pastors. That only men should teach in this kind of... Teach the Word of God authoritatively in this kind of company where men and women are present. That's one of the ways that it's distinct. But here's the thing. What is glorious is that throughout my entire time serving in ministry, I have been so encouraged and challenged and helped by the ministry of women. There are some churches whose doors would be closed today were it not for the praying and serving of women. I, I would venture a guess that that's what happened in our church at some point. At some, I mean, we, we all link arms. It's not like the men link the arms and the women are outside saying, boy, I'd really like to link arms and help out. That's not it at all. But in God's Ordained purposes, only men are to serve as pastors. Now that is coming under heavy questioning today. Heavy questioning. Not because primarily people were studying the Bible and said, you know what, I'm not really sure that's what it means anymore. Primarily because... The pressure of the shifting culture is very hard to push back on. And there's a pressure, particularly when your church is larger and larger, to start thinking about the church in unusual ways like, well, we got to make sure the people keep coming so the money keeps being given, so we can keep paying the lights, so we can keep doing ministry. And that cycle is actually, it snowballs. And you end up in a ditch somewhere with a whole bunch of people and very little God. Because that's not the only thing that you'll compromise on. That ball keeps rolling because culture keeps pushing. So, but God's good design is not for women to serve as pastors. But let's just be very, very clear. God's good design is not that every single man should serve as a pastor either. It's not simply that if you have particular chromosome sets, you are qualified to be a pastor. That is not the case at all. It's just saying that those whom God ordains will be men, and we are to embrace that. Now, we hear... God's good design. We are to embrace God's good design. But Paul actually goes further because he doesn't just want them walking out. He says more so that, thirdly, we will understand God's good design. Understand God's good design. And there are four points of understanding that we're going to go through very quickly, and I'm just going to ask the question and answer it. Ask a question and answer it. First question, where did this design come from? I mean, is, is, is Paul just like a, a, a male chauvinist pig who wants to press down women, and is this just, you know, the, the evidence of a patriarchal culture that we ought to dismiss? I mean, where did this design come from? Paul says it was the pattern of creation. Verses 7 and following, a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But... But woman is the glory of man. Not saying that women are not made in the image of God, but following the pattern that he's already set up, the design. The glory there, Me is the same. it seems to be a restatement of that the men are to honor Christ, women are to honor their husbands. This design in the church is to hold up. That's what I, I believe that glory means there. But he keeps going. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman from man for man so this whole issue of headship this whole issue of orderliness is rooted in creation that God set a pattern in creation that was meant to be carried forward in the home in the church particularly so in the creation story Adam is created and Eve is not anywhere to be found. She is made from him. Why was she made? God said, Adam said, I, there's no suitable helper. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. She was made from him and for him. And that pattern establishes the pattern of him having authority, her submitting Look, I mean, here's how I like to tell couples that are about to get married, and some of you, I did your premarital uh, counseling, so you'll remember, is that if you, if you ever watch ballroom dancing, I'm sure that all of you do, but if, if you ever watch it, do you know who leads in ballroom dancing? Who leads? The man does, right? Right? Now, have you ever been? Now, this is surely you don't do this as a watch party, all right? But let's say you're at a watch party, you're watching ballroom dancing together, right? Nobody in the room's going, That guy's such a chauvinist pig. I hate the way that he just pushes her around the floor. Nobody says that. You know what they say? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We all know who's leading. We all know who's following. But all we see is the beauty. Brothers and sisters, that's what your marriage should look like. There should be no time where anybody says, I can't believe he. They should just see the way that we are with our wives and the way our wives are with us and say, That's that's beautiful. I don't. I may not even know all that's happening there, but I like that. I I want that. It's grounded in creation, and then Paul does what love Paul's to do, which is to throw us curveballs, like at the end of verse ten. You know this is why a wife ought to wear a symbol of authority on her head? Because of the angels. Well, now, what in the world does that mean? Well, I can tell you a few things. One, Paul knows what he means. Two, the Corinthians know what Paul means. Three, God knows what Paul means. Fourth, hardly anybody else agrees on what Paul means. I believe he references the angels because these are glorious beings who are zealous to guard the glory of God, to live in their place where God has put them for God's glory, to serve at His disposal as a kind of way of saying, even the angels do this, and they are glorious. So. Where did it come from? The pattern of creation. Doesn't this pattern, doesn't this design automatically exalt one over the other? One is superior, one not. Well, let me just ask you, because that's the best way to do this. When you go to work tomorrow and your boss says, hey, that report needs to be in by Friday, is your automatic assumption that your boss is more human than you are? That somehow they bear a distinct image of God that you don't have. That their personhood is exalted. That their value is exalted. That their significance is exalted. No. No. Well, why would you do it by Friday then? Well, because that's how things work. That's how things are ordered. If a judge says, gives issues a subpoena that says you need to turn over your files today... Why would you do it? Not because that judge is superior to you in personhood or value, but because in God's ordained plan, that is where, that is an authority to which we are supposed to submit. So there is, in all of life, we all instinctively understand this that we're all the same kind of human. But some relationships are meant to, I'm meant to lead, and some relationships I'm meant to follow. And that foundation of equality is what Paul points to in verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. The creation of woman was dependent on the man and right now there is not a single man in here who cannot say his existence is free from dependence on a woman every one of you no matter what society says a woman gave birth to you and so you're dependent she, woman's dependent man's dependent both are equal and the bible speaks about this in other ways that we're both equally made in the image of god Genesis 27, So God made him in His image, made man in His image, and in His image He made them, male and female. He made them both in the image of God. We are equally Christians through faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus are men and women equal absolutely there's nothing about God's good design that automatically gives superiority to one and inferiority to the other but it's on that foundation of equality that God builds roles that are distinct next question well isn't this just kinda of something that Christians came up with I mean this whole matter of distincting, distinguishing between men and women isn't that just a very Christian thing well actually Paul says no it's the lesson of nature listen to verses 13 to 15 (laughs) judge for yourselves is it appropriate for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered I think that's rhetorical does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair it is disgraceful for him but if a woman has long hair it is her glory for her hair is given to her for a covering you see, long hair on a man in first century Corinth would be associated with homosexuality. It would be against nature. That's actually the way that Romans one twenty-six speaks of homosexuality, as being against nature. Nature being simply the way that things are, the way that things work. It's just plainly observable. Men and women are different. Even 10 years ago, you could say that without an eyebrow going up because everybody knew it. They're like, tell me something I don't know. But nature has something to teach. Cultures may change. The visible expression of masculinity or femininity may be different among cultures. It may be different across times. But one thing is clear. Men should look like men women should look like women it is against nature and against the God of nature for a man to dress or act like or seek to become a woman it is against nature and it is against the God of nature for a woman to dress and to act like and to seek to be a man." That's why this whole issue of transcendent authority is so huge, because there are plenty of people who wouldn't want to submit to the authority of the Bible. Okay, well, what about just nature? We're not even willing to submit to biology anymore. We'll only submit to myself. And so that's very foreign to Paul. Paul says, look, if you, it's in creation. We're both equal. And this is just the way nature is. Men are men. Women, I just saw a video just yesterday, I think. I think it was yesterday. Mr. Rogers, in his very, very early days, saying, boys are boys and always will be boys. Girls are girls and always will be girls. Boys can never become girls. Girls can never become Boys. Only girls can be mommies. Only boys can be daddies. In his very simple Mr. Rogers way. And he would be canceled in 2023. (laughs) But that's just what nature teaches. Last question. Isn't Paul just speaking to this particular situation and not really meaning other churches? Well... He is speaking to a particular situation but it's also the pattern of the churches look at verse 16 if anyone is inclined to be contentious we have no such practice nor do the churches of God Paul says if you want to be hard hearted if you want to be stubborn if you want to argue about this then just know this isn't just about you Corinth there's not another practice anywhere else This is the way it is. This is God's design for all his people in all his churches. And that means Gray Road. It is God's good design for us. 21st century Indianapolis looks different than first century Corinth. But God's good design is here for us to hear and to embrace and to understand. To live as men and women equal in the eyes of God, equally made in His image, equally saved by grace through faith in Jesus, yet distinct from one another. Distinct in nature, distinct in roles, distinct in the home, distinct in the church. By God's design, for God's glory. We can't minimize it. We can't dismiss it. We can't allow it to become a justification for all manner of wrong behavior and attitudes, but we must submit to it. You see, whether male or female, single or married, we must do this, and we must do this by looking to Jesus. A man. God, who became a man who demonstrated what it means to have the right kind of authority and demonstrated what it means to submit all for God's glory and the salvation of the world. Let's pray together. And once we pray, we'll be dismissed. Our Father, we bow before you recognizing that the words that we have read and heard and sought to understand are Your words, and that You love us and have given them to us for Your glory and for our good. And we pray that You will give us grace to hear what it is that You are saying and not infer things You're not saying, to embrace what You say about your design for men and women to obey it because it is good and right and help us to grow in understanding it help us to grow in understanding that this is the pattern of creation that it does not eliminate equality that even nature teaches these things and that this is the pattern for all of your churches Oh God, help us to be a church that glorifies you as we embrace your good design for men and women. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who exerted his authority to sacrifice himself, and who submitted to you, who did not count equality something to be grasped or fought for, but emptied himself to save us. Help us to be like our Savior, Lord, in the places that you have set us down, in the bodies in which you've given us, in the circumstances in which you place us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.